Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas season, you know. Hey, if I don't know you yet, I hope too soon, but my name is Mitchell. Uh, I'm our associate pastor of discipleship here at ICC, and uh, really thrilled to be here this morning together, kicking off our Christmas season and our Christmas series, The Wonder of Christmas. Things look a little different from the last time you were here, right? You know, we went with green and gold this year. That's our, that's our, uh, our colors for Christmas this year, okay? So from here on out, the rest of the weeks, we need everyone to wear green or gold, okay? And uh, it'll look good in here. Um, seriously, really, really glad you chose to be here this morning. Um, it's a wonderful time of year and uh, we're gonna really enjoy it together. I do think, here's, I wanna explain to you the heart behind what we're doing this, this Christmas. I do believe um, as much as most of us probably enjoy this time of year, I think we are in danger often of losing our sense of wonder when it comes to these familiar, uh, predictable, traditional times of year. So I don't know, uh, raise your hand if you have a, uh, like a daily commute, like you drive somewhere every day, like five of us. Okay, the rest of y'all, you're remote workers and your commute is from your bed to your table or something, right? If that, some of y'all, you, you take your first meeting in bed, I know. Um, well, if you think back to the days when you used to have to get up and drive to work, you know, you have these drives that you're so familiar with, you could just, you just do them by memory, right? It's just total muscle memory, it's habit. You can do it with, with your eyes closed and sometimes you kind of feel like you do. You know, you get there and you're like, how did I get here? I have no memory of driving here this morning. I think sometimes Christmas can be that way. We know what to expect, we know what's coming, it's the time of year um, and we just kind of jump in and we do it. If, you're not, if you don't have a commute, maybe you can think about it this way. Maybe there are, there's a song that you've heard like a million times and it comes on, you sing along and you don't even know that you know the words, but you know the words. Your brain doesn't even register the words, but you just sing along. That's how I feel about Christmas music. Not like worship music, but like, you know, the silly Christmas music that plays on the radio. I'm like, this doesn't mean anything to me, but I know the words because I've heard them my whole life. So however you want to frame it, I think you get the picture and it's this, that familiarity can be the enemy of wonder. So our over-familiarity with truth can actually kill our sense of wonder. And this is, I think, really dangerous. And I think it applies always, but I think it's certainly true of a season like Christmas where every year we do the same thing, Right? You put up the same decorations probably, you hear the same music, you eat the same food, and let's be honest, you hear the same sermons. You know, y'all walked in today and you're expecting to hear about baby Jesus. And if you don't, you're like, I think, I think Mitchell missed the memo, right? <laughs> we know what to expect, we know the story, okay? And so, I, 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 that's okay, it's okay that we're familiar. I'm not saying it's wrong to be familiar, what I'm saying is there's an invitation to us every Christmas and I wanna issue it to you this Christmas to rediscover your sense of wonder. So I'll ask you that, like, is that something you want? <laughs> do you want, we just sang about beholding Jesus, do you wanna behold him in a new way, in a fresh way? Do you wanna ex really experience him, maybe in a way that you haven't before? Do you want to worship from your heart this Christmas as you behold 
Jesus. Who's in? Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you. That's all right. Even if you didn't raise your hand, you can stay and hopefully you'll get on board. <laughs> but if you're in with me, then let's, let's do this together. Like this, this Christmas, let's rediscover our sense of wonder. Let's, uh, each week we're going to be looking at a different aspect of the Christmas story. And we'll be opening ourselves up to scripture, to the Holy Spirit, inviting him to captivate our hearts. We'll be focused these next few weeks less on points and lists and intellect and more on our hearts, just beholding Jesus in simple ways and responding in worship, okay? So if y'all are in with me, let's pray for God to make it happen and then we'll move forward. God, thank you so much for this morning, for waking us up and getting us here. Thank you for each and every person who chose to be here this morning. God, we open our hearts to you now. We want to know you more. We want to experience you anew. God, we ask you to make that happen. We can't make it happen, but we can surely make ourselves available. So I pray that we would all make that choice even now. As we open your word, would you speak to us by your spirit? And would you move our hearts, stir us up to worship you in a real way? Amen. All right, y'all, well, go ahead and open your Bibles with me. Uh, we're gonna be in a few places this morning, but we'll start in the book of Isaiah towards the end, chapter 59. As you're making your way there, we're gonna start talking about this idea for today. Today, I get to teach about hope. We're gonna talk about hope. Today's, the title of today's message is The Arrival of Hope. So what is hope? There's certainly probably a lot of, uh, if we all went through, we might all use different words to describe hope. A lot of different ways to approach a concept this broad. But uh, according to Cambridge, we'll use this as a starting definition. To hope is to want something to happen or to be true. And usually have a good reason to think that it might. Okay, so this kind of gives us a baseline definition of at least what we would, what I'm going to call kind of worldly human hope, which is I'd really like that and I think it could happen, right? I'm not going to say, I mean, I hope I grow to be 6'5". I just know it's not gonna happen. But what I might say is I hope to lose a little weight or I hope to get in better shape, right? Is that I want it to be true and it could happen, you know? And I might actually really feel like it will. So where's hope in the Bible? Well, uh, it's all over the place. (laughs) Um, You you could say there's a sense in which the entire Bible is a story of hope. Um, Just a little trivia knowledge for you. The, the, the English word hope appears in this Bible, the ESV Bible, 164 times. So that's a lot. The Bible has a lot to say about hope. And this is one instance of that in Isaiah 59. So if you'll look with me, we're gonna start in verse nine. Look at verse nine of chapter 59 of Isaiah. So again, Isaiah's a prophet um, and he's kind of speaking on behalf of the people of Israel here. He says this, therefore justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. If you look down at um, verse 11, halfway through verse 11, we hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it's far from us. So what we see here is Isaiah on behalf of the people of Israel, he's expressing a lament, essentially saying something ain't right here. There's something in their circumstances, their situation that is not what they want. And they're, they're hoping for it to change and they're just not seeing it yet. So it's important to note here, hope is born out of desperate need or desire. 
Hope is born when you realize you can't do something for yourself. When you've despaired of your attempts at something and all you're left with is hope. Someone who doesn't need or want anything can't hope for anything. Romans 8 tells us this. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? If we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So I, I, it wouldn't make any sense for me to say, gosh, I really hope to see you guys this morning because I'm looking right at you. But I could say, I really hope you guys will choose to stick with us this Christmas season, really lean in, really grow in your wonder of Jesus, right? Because I haven't seen that yet, but I want that. So hope is born out of desperate need or desire, something I can't do for myself and I need help. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You wanted something that you couldn't make happen for yourself? I think we would all say yes. That would be our answer. And this is, I believe this is true. Hope is universal. Everyone hopes. And somehow, in some way, we might experience it differently, uh, but the truth is that we all hope. I believe that hope is as necessary for human survival as food, water, shelter. <laughs> Without it, we, we really have no reason to live. We're left with this kind of empty, meaningless existence, right? There's something that has to keep us going, something that has to get us out of bed in the morning. Oftentimes, that's hope. I don't know if you've ever seen someone lose hope. It's a scary thing. You could say that we as humans are hardwired for hope. God has made us to hope, and then on top of that, we live in this broken world, and there's so much that we know just isn't quite what it should be, so we hope. You'll see this everywhere. If you just if you start paying attention to music and movies and politics and just the world around us, hope is everywhere. Hope fuels humanity. Paul David Tripp, he's done a good bit of reflecting and writing about this idea of hope. And he says this, everybody's motivated by hope. Human beings aren't like animals, living moment by moment by instinct. No matter who we are or what we've experienced, we live by hope. So hope is universal. Everyone hopes. I don't have to know anything about you to know that you have hopes. Even today, um, we're all we walked in here, we're carrying some kind of hope, we're hoping in something. The question is what? And the answer to that question is really important because misplaced hope can be just as dangerous as having no hope. So I'd, I'm just gonna invite you. We're gonna do some thought work. We're gonna be in the scripture this morning, but ultimately what I want you to do is search your heart. So I'm gonna go and ask you to be reflecting on this. What are you hoping for right now? If you just kind of take a second, what's something you're hoping for right now? There's no wrong answer. The best answer is the one that's true. <laughs> What are you hoping for right now? It could be that you are lonely and you're hoping for community. You're in a season of anxiety and you're really hoping for peace and relief from that. Maybe you're hurt in some way and you're hoping for healing. Maybe you're, honestly, your life just doesn't look like what you thought it would <laughs> and you're hoping for something to change. I don't know what it is for you. It could be something simple. You could already be hoping for lunch. You forgot to eat breakfast and you're like, man, I hope he gets done so I can eat. I don't know. But I want you to ask yourself that question. And I have good news for you. Whatever the answer is, I have good news for you. And that is that this is not the end of the story and it's not the end of this passage. So if you look here with me back at Isaiah chapter 59, look at verse 15. So God responds to his people. He sees where they are, he hears them, and he responds midway through uh, verse 15. He says, the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. 
he saw that there was no man and he wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. So God responds by taking action. He describes this in a few ways, but it culminates in a promise in verse 20. He says, a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. This is really big. God meets his people where they are and he actually takes them, he actually leads them somewhere else. So they're consumed, as we often are, with their circumstances, their situation, their desperate need for help. However, God sees everything and he, God doesn't have to hope because he has everything at his disposal. And so as always, he invites them to something better. He invites them to a deeper hope, a greater hope, a stronger hope. And what he actually says is, I'm, I'm, I'm not just gonna rescue you from your situation, I'm gonna send you a rescuer. I'm not just gonna do something for you, I actually wanna do something in you. And we see this all throughout the Old Testament. God sees his people in their need and he starts promising them things. And they become more and more specific and personal. They're not vague, general, distant promises. And he invites his people to place their hope in him. This is really important because uh, what God says he does. <laughs> it's a really good thing. So the hope that he calls us to is different from that initial definition of hope because it has a firm foundation. So uh, John Piper preached a message about hope a long time ago and um, it's influenced me a lot around this idea of hope and he draws a distinction here that I think is really helpful between we could call it worldly hope and biblical hope. He says this, ordinarily, when we express hope, we're expressing uncertainty, but this is not the distinctive biblical meaning of hope. Biblical hope is not just a desire for something good in the future, but rather biblical hope is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And it not only expects it to happen, it's confident that it will happen. So this leads us to a much sturdier definition of hope than we started with. It's more than just kind of an optimistic longing or wishful thinking. It's this biblical hope is a confident expectation based on the character and promises of God. This kind of hope, y'all, has roots to it. That's the difference. It's rooted in something. It's rooted in someone. Like we saw in Isaiah chapter 59, God makes these these promises to his people throughout the Old Testament and he invites them to place confident expectation in him based on what they know of him, his character, to fulfill these promises. He actually asks them to place all their eggs in this basket. He continually does this. So we'll look at one more place in Isaiah. If you flip back with me to Isaiah chapter nine, this is gonna lead us somewhere important for today. Again, we find the people of Israel in in a desperate place. And here's the promise. I'm gonna start in verse two. It's not up here, but it's okay. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Coming down here to verse six and seven. You'll be familiar with this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So again, we find the people of Israel, they're stressed about their situation. The Assyrians, that's what chapter eight's about. They're coming. They're scared to death. And what God gives them, the promise he gives them is actually not about something, but someone. What they start to see, I believe, is that God's plan is less about what, what he'll give them and more about who he will give them. We know, we know, we're, we have the gift of uh, knowing the whole story. And so we know that when God makes these promises and he's making them, he, he's intending them to be rock solid. He's saying, you can be confident in this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He's promising them this future day where he'll change everything. And he's, he's calling them to hope. And really, he's calling them uh, for this to be the climax of their hope. And so the faithful among God's people were left hoping and waiting. Hoping and waiting. I don't know uh, about you, but uh, I'm not a very patient person. And I think, generally speaking, we're a very impatient people. We're an impatient culture. I don't like to wait. I don't like to be on hold. I don't like lines. Y'all, this week we had this whole situation with MLGW. We loved MLGW, but we had to wait for a long time. And when that guy showed up, I almost hugged him. And I, I don't think it would have been reciprocated. Um, but what I realized is, man, I, I do not like to wait. And this goes deeper, right? It goes into our hearts, really. We live in a day when we, we feel as if we have the world at our fingertips, right? So there's, we have access to answers and solutions and information and healthcare and technology and a lot of good things. But they have the potential to make us very impatient and even faithless people. I don't know when was the last time you um, just had to hope and wait for God to do something. I think that would be a good thing for us to grow in. Because what we see here is this is what God calls his people to do. His people waited for years and years, centuries, generations. This is why the Advent season is such a big deal. This is why we actually do a disservice when we just jump into the Christmas parties and uh, decorations and uh, even coming here this morning, we just jump right in and we don't give it thought. We don't open ourselves to actually experience wonder. So God's people, they hoped and they waited for a long time until one day hope arrived. That's what Christmas is all about. There was a day appointed in history when God sent hope in the flesh. The fullness of God's character the ultimate fulfillment of his promises, they arrived in the form of a baby, of all things. The birth of Jesus was the arrival of true hope. That's what today's all about. Arrival of hope. So it's no wonder, if you'll look with me um, at the New Testament, the very beginning of the book of Luke, it's no wonder that as we look at this story in scripture, there's, there's just so much wonder surrounding the birth of Jesus. <laughs> Everyone who has any um, connection to the birth of Jesus is just blown away by what's happening. It's not casual. It's not normal. <laughs> they don't take it lightly. I'm gonna show you just a few. We're not gonna read, the, uh, we're not gonna read a ton. I would encourage you, this is a great place to just be reading over the next few weeks, first couple of chapters here in Luke. But 
I'm going to give you kind of a quick sampler. We're going to look, do a few character studies, look at how people responded to the birth of Jesus. So starting in chapter 1, verse 46, this is Mary. So the earthly mother of Jesus. This is her response to the news she's received, the announcement of her supernatural virgin pregnancy. This is how she responds. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Why is Mary responding in this way? It's certainly not just because she's pregnant out of wedlock. She's responding in this way because she knows what this means. Her hope is rooted in the character and promises of God and she's taking God at his word. She had the gift of um, knowing, at least to some extent, what God had in store for her child, who he was and what he came to do, the son of God who came to save his people. And so she puts her hope in him. She has, she's confidently expecting him to do everything that's been promised. So she rejoices. Zechariah, similarly. So Zechariah's a priest, father to John the Baptist. He says this, uh, chapter one, verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. He just had a son, but his song is really less about his son and more about Mary's son. Zechariah knows the scriptures and he knows who this is and he believes. And so he's placed his hope in him. He believes he's the one. He's confident Jesus is the one who will save his people. He knows that his son, John the Baptist, will play a role in that, but just as a forerunner. So he places his hope in Jesus. The angels, if you look at chapter two, uh, this is the scripture that was on the, the video earlier. When Jesus is actually born in Bethlehem, angels appear to a group of shepherds. They say this, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. These angels basically show up and they say, this is it. <laughs> like this is what you've been hoping for. This is what you've been waiting for. Every prayer you've ever prayed, this is the answer. This is the good news you've longed for. And it's a baby. And he's here for you. And the shepherds actually go and they find Jesus, Mary and Joseph, and they wander together. They glorify, they praise God. The last one I'm gonna show you is a guy named Simeon, just a little later in chapter two. This guy was a hoper. He was so confident in God and his promises that God actually kept him alive just to see Jesus in the flesh. So he's waiting, super old and just waiting to see Jesus. So when Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem, he sees him and he just knows. He goes and he grabs him. He says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon takes one look at Jesus and he says, oh, I've seen your salvation. God, I've seen your salvation prepared for all people. So what's the point? The point is this. The birth of Jesus was the arrival of true hope. And we see this. The people who witnessed the birth of Jesus knew that they were witnessing the arrival of hope. They were so sure of God's character and promises, they knew they could be confident in the one that he sent them. So they placed their hope in him. They wondered at what they saw, and they hoped in Jesus, who he was, what he came to do. He was the son of God sent to save them, to deliver them, to give them life. This gave them a confident expectation that he would fulfill everything they had ever hoped for. So the important question, obviously, is what does this mean for us? And the short answer is that it means the same thing it meant for them. The birth of Jesus was the arrival of true hope for us. This is just as relevant for us. That's why I'm inviting you to, for us to wonder, yes, I know we live centuries later. It feels like we live in a different world. But we too are just as desperately in need of true hope. You know it. <laughs> Everybody wants hope that has roots. It's exhausting living life with hope that just continually lets you down. <laughs> We've all done it. <laughs> we do it. But God invites us to a sturdy hope, a hope with roots. He invites us to live with a confident expectation because of who Jesus is, what he's done and what he's promised us. We, we get to be a hopeful people because Jesus is our hope. Hope for us is not like a virtue or an idea or like a feeling that we hope, we hope, we try to achieve. Hope is a person. His name is Jesus. First Peter 1 speaks to this. It says, according to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What does it mean to have living hope? It means your hope is a living person, our resurrected Savior, Jesus. Not only do we have hope as we look backward because of what he's done, the fact that Jesus came at Christmas, yes, that gives us hope. We also get to look forward to his future coming. That's what Peter is speaking to here. We have hope forever because Jesus came. Because he came as the son of God. He lived perfectly. He died in our place. We just sang the gospel in our songs. He rose to new life to give us hope. So we have hope forever. We're promised eternity with him. And this will be fully revealed one day. This is our inheritance. But even until then, as we live life now, we're invited to hope differently. Because of what we know of Jesus, because of what he's done, we now get to live in relationship with him. And by faith and through his spirit, we can actually live with hope because we trust his goodness to us. We trust his love for us. Romans 8 speaks to this. Knowing what he's done, we know he'll give us all things. We can trust his goodness. 
Hebrews 6 says that we have this hope as a, a sure and steadfast anchor of, our soul, of the soul. So this kind of hope grounds us. This hope that I'm talking about, this hope that has roots, it grounds us in any and every circumstance. It changes how we live. It changes how we suffer. Romans 5 speaks to that. It changes how we grieve. 1 Thessalonians 4 says we don't grieve as those who have no hope. So a question is, well, what anchors you? You know, when, when, when life gets real, <laughs> I think that's when our hope is really revealed. When it seems like everything else is kind of failing us or falling apart. That's when we kind of find out how deep our roots go in our hope. And, and really, are we drawing from the well of hope that's offered to us in Jesus? And I, I, this is true, this is important always, but I'm, I, I do believe there are uh, moments in life that expose this when uh, you get a diagnosis that you weren't expecting, you know, or when your, your bank account is diminishing, <laughs> Or when that relationship you had hoped for so much falls through. When uh, someone you love is gone. Like there are these real moments in life and they're hard. They're they're going to be hard. We live in a broken world. They're hard. But the question is, where's your hope? That's the question I want you to ask yourself. Where's your hope? Because I've continually said that when, if our hope doesn't have roots, if our hope is in um, financial security or in relationships or even in our families or in our ability to be successful in a certain endeavor in our careers or our education or whatever it may be, it's just not rooted deep enough. One of the best ways to identify this, to answer this question is to kind of try out a statement like this. Um, if I only had fill in the blank, then I would really feel more hopeful. If this changed in my life, I feel like I would have a lot more hope. That reveals something there. I invite you to consider a, a passage. I can't really teach it, but I, I want you to, to think of it and write it down. Lamentations chapter three. Um, Lamentations is a cool book that the author's writing on behalf of the people of Israel in exile, and it's mostly lamenting, you know, you guessed it. But right here in the middle of the book, um, the author says, basically, my hope from the Lord is just gone. He says it's perished. But almost immediately, he corrects himself, and he says this, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So how could this author, how could he say, I have hope when I don't have hope? (laughs) It's because he's calling to mind the character and promises of God. His hope had roots. So what would it look like instead of saying, um, if I had this, fill in the blank, I would have hope. What if you learn to say, because I know God is this, I, I, I do have hope today. Because I know that God has promised me this. Open your Bible, search for God's promises. Because I know this, I do have hope. This Christmas, 
Because Jesus came. Because Jesus chose to be born as a, a baby. To live a life like me. I have hope. Because I know that Jesus will come again. I have hope. Where do we need to transfer hope? We, we all have a fatal tendency to misplace our hope. And we have to do the work to transfer, to go take our hope from one place and move it elsewhere. Place it in Jesus. This is my encouragement to you today. Put your hope in Jesus. It's such a simple statement. But if, we, if you've ever, if you've walked with the Lord at all, you know it's not as simple as it sounds. I think of uh, Psalm 42. We see the psalmist doing this. He's kind of diagnosing his own soul. He says, why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Something's wrong. Something's off. Why are you in turmoil within me? What's going on? And he diagnoses himself. He says, oh, you need to put your hope in God. He's talking to his own soul. He's choosing. He's making a choice. Yes, with God's help, but he's making a choice to put his hope in God. This is my encouragement to you today. As we start the Christmas season, I think there's no better way than to take a moment, number one, to just wonder a little bit, to kind of uh, put ourselves in the shoes of Mary, Zechariah, shepherds, Simeon, Insert ourselves in the story. Walk yourself through the Christmas story again. It's kind of like this. We, uh, we recently sold our house. I think y'all know that. A lot of y'all know that. Thank the Lord. We had a great agent. You know, y'all, Some of y'all know her. Um, but we had to learn to do was, you know, you, when you've lived in your house for a while, uh, well, it's your house. So, it, you know, you don't notice all the things that are weird about it or ugly. And what our agent taught us to do as we were staging our house is to go through and uh, learn to see our house as a potential buyer. Learn to see our house as someone who might uh, pay a lot of money to have it. And you start to see your house differently. You know, you start to notice things. You're like, yeah, it's kind of messy. Or, yeah, I probably do need to like work on that. I've been putting that off or whatever it is, right? The invitation is this, this year at Christmas, will you kind of put on fresh eyes? Will you enter the Christmas story like you've, the best you can, like you've never heard it before? Will you choose to make yourself available to God that he might stir your heart up in wonder through the Holy Spirit? And will you work? Will you do the work of searching your heart to put your hope in him? The last thing I want to say, and I'm going to go and wrap up. Um, I know there's a sense in which it's a little heavy this morning. I don't necessarily intend it to be. Um, But I do believe that uh, we need to do this work. And so it's the same work I'm doing. We're all, I think, doing this together. This is a, a really a daily thing. Choosing to transfer my hope, being aware enough of my soul to <laughs> ensure that my hope is in Jesus and not elsewhere. 
Remember that definition of hope that has roots, a confident expectation based on the character and promises of God. We can live confident. We can live with confidence. Not that everything, we'll get everything we want right when we want it, but that God has what's best for us. We can trust his heart and we don't understand his ways. We can trust his heart. So I'm just inviting you as we wonder, um, even in this time, we're gonna sing, have some time for response. Would you search your heart? Get honest with yourself about where your hope is and put your hope in Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for Christmas. Thank you for hope. Thank you that you are the God of hope. And you promise to those who seek you to fill us with hope. That we may abound in hope. God, I pray that as we open our hearts to you, you would show us what we need to see. Search our hearts. Let us see if there's anything in us that needs to change. Let us see if there's any any hope in us that needs to be transferred. God, thank you that thousands of years ago you sent your son you sent hope and a baby God let us wonder that open our eyes to behold you in a new way this Christmas I pray that you would fill us with hope in this time God we we need you (laughs) we need you to give us hope that has roots We can't do this on our own. God, we're weak, we're broken, we're short-sighted, we're impatient, we're faithless. Would you please do what only you can do in us? Holy Spirit, have this time as we open ourselves up to you. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.